Chapter 4 of Immortality and the Unseen World by W. O. E. Westerly. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Belief in Supernatural Beings. Chapter 4 The Demonology of the Old Testament. From what has been said in the previous chapter, it is evident that an extended belief in demons was common to all the Semites. To this the Israelites formed no exception. It is true that in their case there was not the elaborate classification such as we find among the Babylonians and Assyrians, and to a rather less degree among the ancient Arabians, but that does not necessarily imply that belief in the activity of demons was any the less real among the Israelites. The fact is that the Old Testament is not the kind of literature in which we should expect to find much information on the subject of demonology. The Israelites had nothing parallel to the great body of literature represented by the Babylonian magical texts. For one thing, the far more ancient and more advanced civilization of the Babylonians would naturally presuppose a much larger body of scribes who could commit these things to writing. Nevertheless, the signs in the Old Testament of an Israelite demonology, elaborate if not yet reduced to a system, are, we believe, more numerous than is generally supposed. This we must now proceed to show. 1. Theriomorphic Demons Although this class of demons only remotely concerns us, a brief reference to them is required on account of their connection with the general subject of demons. A. The Seraphim Our ideas about the Seraphim are so colored by the description and function of them given in Isaiah chapter 6 verse 1 and following, and their mention in the Te Deum in conjunction with the Cherubim, who belong, however, to the angelic order, that it is likely to come as a shock to some to find them reckoned among the theriomorphic demons. But in early Semitic belief, as will be seen, it is evident that the seraphim were originally regarded as a species of harmful beings of demonic nature. The name comes from a root, seraph, meaning to burn, and the name Burning Ones, or Seraphim, was in all probability given on account of their burning bite. This is suggested by such passages as the following, Numbers chapter 21 verse 6, And the Lord sent fiery serpents, literally Seraphim serpents, among the people, and they bit the people, and much people of Israel died. In verse 8 it is said, And the Lord said unto Moses, Make thee a seraph, and put it on a pole, and it shall come to pass, that every one that is bitten, when he seeth it, shall live. Deuteronomy chapter 8 verse 15 He led thee through the great and terrible wilderness, wherein were seraph serpents and scorpions. Compare also Isaiah chapter 14, verse 29. For out of the serpent's root shall come forth a viper, 
and his fruit shall be a fiery flying serpent, literally a flying seraph. Similarly, in Isaiah chapter 30, verse 6. We have already seen, in the previous chapter, the close connection between serpents and demons, according to general Semitic belief. And it is impossible to separate early Israelite belief on the subject from that of kindred nations. A striking parallel to the Hebrew flying seraph serpent is mentioned by Wellhausen. Among the ancient Arabs, there was the belief that demons, or jinn, flew out of the burning grove of Al-Karijah in the form of white serpents. Herodotus says, quote, There is a place in Arabia situated very near the city of Buto, to which I went, on hearing of some winged serpents. And when I arrived there, I saw bones and spines of serpents in such quantities as it would be impossible to describe. It is reported that, at the beginning of spring, winged serpents fly from Arabia towards Egypt but that ibises, a sort of bird, meet them at the pass, and do not allow the serpents to go by, but kill them. For this service the Arabians say that the ibis is highly reverenced by the Egyptians, and the Egyptians acknowledge that they reverence these birds for this reason. Herodotus does not say whether these flying serpents were regarded as demons, but knowing what we do about arab belief in the connection between demons and serpents it can hardly be doubted that they were so regarded parallels of this kind which could be multiplied strengthen the impression already suggested by various passages in the old testament that originally the name seraphim was applied to serpents who were looked upon as demons b the Seirim. In writing about the beliefs of the heathen Arabs concerning the jinn, or demons, Robertson Smith says that those demons, quote, are not pure spirits, but corporeal beings, more like beasts than men, for they are ordinarily represented as hairy, or have some other animal shape, as that of an ostrich or a snake. Like the wild beasts, they have, for the most part, no friendly or stated relations with men, but are outside the pale of man's society, and frequent savage and deserted places far from the wanted tread of men. It appears from several poetical passages of the Old Testament that the northern Semites believed in demons of a precisely similar kind. Close quote. Among these he mentions the hairy beings called Seirim, who haunted waste and desolate places. That the mention of these in the Old Testament is found in comparatively late passages does not affect us, since they only echo beliefs of much earlier times. In Isaiah chapter 13 verses 21 and 22, for example, where the desolation of Babylon is described, it is said that wild beasts of the desert shall be there, and their houses shall be full of doleful creatures, 
and ostriches shall dwell there, and satyrs shall dance there. Satyrs literally seirim. The translation of this word as satyrs is misleading if by it we are intended to think of the Greek satyrs who were spirits of the woodland in the train of Dionysus, and who were represented as being in semi-human form, and as having bristling hair and goat-like ears, and with short tails. This is not the Semitic idea of the seir, which was a hairy creature in the form of a calf, and was worshipped among the Assyrians and Phoenicians, as well as by the ancient Israelites. In Exodus chapter 32, verse 4 and following, we have the well-known worship of the golden calf. See also Leviticus chapter 17, verse 7, Deuteronomy chapter 9, verse 21, and Second Chronicles chapter 11, verses 14 through 16. And recent excavations have illustrated this form of worship in a very interesting way. For on the site of ancient Gezer, many remains of cow or calf statuettes were discovered, which point indubitably to the worship of a god or goddess of flocks and herds. In later days, when the worship of Yahweh had asserted itself, these gods and goddesses were degraded to demons, and as such were fully believed in. Under this heading, we naturally think of what in the authorized version is called the scapegoat leviticus chapter sixteen verses eight through ten that is azazel it will be remembered that after the two he goats had been taken from the congregation of israel for a sin offering aaron quote, set them before the lord at the door of the tent of meeting Close quote. Then it goes on to say that, quote, Aaron shall cast lots upon the two goats, one lot for the Lord, and the other lot for Azazel. Close quote. From these words, it is quite obvious that Azazel was regarded quite as much as a personal being as the Lord. So that to make Azazel equivalent to the scapegoat is an offense against the plain reading of the text. It is said further that the goat upon which the lot for Azazel fell was to be sent away for Azazel into the wilderness. From this it is clear that Azazel dwelt in the wilderness like the Seirim. It is thus highly probable that the Azazel ritual was a development of what was originally an offering to the denizens of the waste. Azazel was originally a Semitic god of the flocks, like Ashtoret Karneim. See Genesis chapter 14 verse 5, and compare Deuteronomy chapter 7 verse 13. He will bless the Ashtorot of thy flock. With the growth of Yahweh worship, a compromise was effected, since the religious leaders found it impossible to eradicate the ancient ritual, and ultimately this god of the flocks was degraded to a demon of the wilderness, just as many other demons who were believed to inhabit waste places. In the book of Enoch, 
Azazel appears as a leader of evil angels. Chapter 6, verse 7, compare with chapter 9, verse 6. Thou seest what Azazel hath done, who hath taught all unrighteousness on earth. See also chapter 10, verses 4 through 6. As to the meaning of the name, regarding which there are all kinds of theories, it must be said that Shane's view is at once the simplest and the most probable. It is a corruption, purposely made by the Jewish religious leaders, of the name Azel, or God strengthens. The name, as it now appears in the Hebrew text, is Azazel, which is supposed to be delivered from the root Azel, and would thus mean complete removal, that is, of sins. But an abstract term of this kind does not commend itself. Shane's view, which was also that held long ago by Distel, has also this in its favor, that the epithet strong, applied to a god, conforms to the general usage in regard to Semitic deities, whose chief characteristic is almost invariably that of strength, implying power to help. C. In a passage quoted above, Isaiah chapter 13, verses 21 and 22, mention is made of various other strange creatures, in addition to Seirim, which we believe may justly be included in the category of theriomorphic demons. It will be remembered that this passage is preceded by a prophecy of the permanent desolation of Babylon. Quote, it shall never be inhabited, neither shall it be dwelt in from generation to generation. Neither shall the Arabian pitch tent there, neither shepherds make their flocks to lie down there. It is important to recall here the points referred to in an earlier chapter, namely, that demons were believed to exist in great numbers that they had a special predilection for desert places, and above all for ruined sites where men used to dwell, and that many wild beasts, especially those that inhabited the waste and wilderness, were identified with demons. The site just described in the passage from Isaiah is just such a one as popular imagination would regard as the haunt of demons. Therefore, a brief examination of the creatures spoken of will not be inappropriate. First, there are the wild beasts, or ziyim. The word comes from a root meaning to be dry, and the noun, therefore, presumably, would mean something connected with a dry place, an inhabitor of the desert. Reference to the various passages in which the word occurs, shows that these wild beasts cannot be identified with any known animals, that they are always spoken of as dwelling in desert places and ruined sites, and, with one exception, that they are always mentioned in connection with other strange beasts, to be referenced below. Next occurs the expression, doleful creatures, 
Okim. This word, which is parallel to Ziyim, and is likewise used only in the plural, comes from the root meaning to howl. According to Delich, Ehu is the Assyrian for jackal, but this is disputed by other scholars. No help is gained from the versions. Its indefiniteness and uncertainty are perhaps significant. The next creature, translated ostrich, in the revised version, means literally daughters of greed, and is, with two exceptions, used only in the plural. It is reckoned among the unclean animals in Leviticus chapter 11 verse 16 and Deuteronomy chapter 14 verse 15. No doubt it came to be used of the ostrich, but it is striking that in the passage before us the Septuagint renders it Serines and makes it parallel to Daimonia. According to Arab belief, demons have the hunger of a lion, an idea which may conceivably be connected with these daughters of greed. Whether the word in Hebrew originally meant something other than ostrich, it is impossible to say. But in any case, ostriches were looked upon as being connected with demons. The Arabs said that demons used them for writing on. They believed also that demons appeared in the form of ostriches. The satyrs, or seirim, which occurs next, we have already dealt with. There remains the wolves, iim, and jackals, tanim. It is very difficult to say what the first of these means. The root from which the word comes means to howl or screech. A word for hawk comes from the same root. In view of the fact that many birds were regarded as the incarnations of demons, it may be that a bird of prey of some kind is intended. The Septuagint renders oneken tauroi, which shows to what straits the translators were driven though the word is interesting as illustrating the belief that hybrid monsters were among the forms in which demons appeared. The parallel word in our passages, jackals, would indeed favor the rendering wolves, but it cannot be said that we have any certainty regarding the meaning of tanim, jackals. The Septuagint gives six different renderings of the word in the fourteen instances in which it occurs in the Hebrew Bible, and in one case omits it altogether. In studying this passage, the conviction is forced upon one that it refers from beginning to end to what were believed to be demons, or, more strictly speaking, animals which were looked upon as the incarnations of demons. The demon part was supernatural, and not subject to death like human beings. In the case of the Seirim, the demonic character admits of no doubt, so that where we have these other creatures enumerated together with the Seirim, it is obvious that they too were reckoned among the demons. 2. Demons of Human Form 
we have next to consider some demons of human or quasi-human form. The references to these in the Old Testament are not many, but when considered in the light of certain Babylonian parallels, it will be seen that the mention of them is not without significance. A. Lilith In Isaiah chapter 34, verses 11 through 15, a passage of somewhat similar import to Isaiah chapter 13, verses 21 through 22, but in reference to Edom, there occur these words in verse 14. And the wild beasts of the desert, or Ziyim, shall encounter the wolves, or Iyim, and the Sa'ir, singular of Se'irim, shall meet with his fellow. There in truth shall Lilith repose, and shall find a resting place for herself. The revised version translates Lilith by night monster, but it is a proper name. The fact that Lilith, represented at one time as a female demon, at another a male one, was well known among the Assyrians, supports the belief that Lilith played a part in Hebrew demonology in pre-exilic times. The Assyrian beliefs regarding this demon were greatly developed by the Babylonians, as we shall see in a moment. According to later Jewish teaching, which may well, however, have been handed down for many centuries previously, Lilith was a night hag, and got her name from Leela, or night. The etymology was false, but Lilith was, nevertheless, the night demon par excellence. The connection was suggested by the similarity of the two words, as well as by the fact that Lilith was believed to be active at night. There is an evident reference to this demon, though her name is not mentioned, in Psalm 91, verse 5, Thou shalt not be afraid because of the night terror, nor because of the arrow that flieth by day. In the Midrash to the Psalms on this verse occurs the comment, quote, Rabbi Berechiah said, There is a harmful spirit that flies like a bird and shoots like an arrow. Close quote. While it is a mistake to suppose that only one demon is referred to in this verse, the rabbi is doubtless right in picturing Lilith as one who flies, for the Jewish conception regarding this demon is likely to have corresponded with the Babylonian, which also pictured Lilith as flying at nights. In Babylonian demonology, a demon triad was formed by Lilu, Lilitu and Ardat Lili, the male, the female, and the handmaid. The Old Testament Lilith would correspond to the second of these, Lilitu. The three are spoken of particularly as storm demons, who rush about at night seeking what harm they can do to men. They are spoken of as flying, and were therefore though not necessarily, 
conceived of as having wings. Ardat Lily was once spoken of as flitting in through a window after a man. In later Jewish belief, which is, however, largely traditional, Lilith appears as the head of one of the three great classes into which the demons were divided, that is, the Lilin, who take their name from her. They are described as of human form and have wings. They are all females. Children are their chief victims. Lilith was conceived of as a beautiful woman, with long flowing hair. It is at nights that she seeks her prey. She is dangerous to men, but does not appear to molest women. B. Keteb. It is in Psalm 91, verse 6, that this proper name of a demon occurs, and to understand its significance, it must be read in the light of its context. In verse 5, as we have just seen, it is highly probable that the demon Lilith is referred to, although not named. The text of verse 6 is partly corrupt, and must be embedded on the basis of the Septuagint. It must then be translated thus. Nor because of the pestilence that goeth about during the dark, nor because of Keteb, or the midday demon. The Hebrew for pestilence is Deber, and if this is not a proper name, the word implies, at any rate, the existence of a pest demon. We are reminded of the well-known Babylonian pest demon Namtar. He is often spoken of as violent Namtar, and he comes among men as the pest bringing envoy from the realms of the dead, like a raging wind. His action is described in a Babylonian text thus, quote, Wicked Namtar, who scorches the land like fire, who approaches a man like Ashaku, who rages through the wilderness like a storm wind, who pounces upon a man like a robber, who plagues a man like a pestilence, who has no hands, no feet, who goes about at night. Close quote. The words remind one forcibly of the pestilence that goeth about in the dark. That pestilence and sickness of every kind were believed to be due to the action of demons is too well known to need illustration. It is in this context that the name Keteb occurs. The word is usually translated destruction. It is only mentioned three times elsewhere, in Deuteronomy chapter 32 verse 24, Isaiah chapter 28 verse 2, and Hosea chapter 13 verse 4, and in the first two of these the underlying thought of demons is fairly obvious. In rabbinical literature, Keteb is used as the proper name of a demon, whether he was the midday demon himself or whether two demons are referred to in the text, one cannot say for certain. That a special midday demon, whatever his name, was believed in, is highly probable. The burning rays had to be accounted for somehow. 
in later judaism it was believed that midday was one of the times during which demons were especially busy and in some babylonian texts there are some suggestive passages the midrash to the psalms on this verse has the following in reference to keteb Quote, our rabbis said it is a demon rabbi huna speaking in the name of rabbi jose said the poisonous keteb was covered with scales and with hair and sees only out of one eye the other one is in the middle of his heart and he is powerful not in the darkness nor in the sun but between darkness and sunshine he rolls himself up like a ball and stalks about from the fourth to the ninth hour from the seventeenth of tammuz that is july to the ninth of ab that is august and every one who sees him falls down on his face c aluka in proverbs chapter thirty verse fifteen the revised version has the horse-leech hath two daughters crying give give alternate reading the vampire hath two daughters called give give the hebrew for horse-leech is a proper name aluka very little is known of this creature excepting that she was a female demon of the lilith type from the context in proverbs it is clear that she was insatiable in her desires among the ancient arabs there was a corresponding female demon called aulak the septuagint and vulgate renderings imply that she was a bloodsucker d satan this name is derived from a root meaning to oppose in such an early passage as numbers chapter twenty two verse twenty two and following the noun is used without any idea of a proper name we read there and the angel of the lord placed himself in the way for an adversary against him adversary literally a satan the same word is used as a foe in the ordinary sense in first samuel chapter twenty nine verse four second samuel chapter nineteen verses twenty two and twenty three first kings chapter five verse four chapter eleven verses fourteen twenty three and twenty five psalm one hundred nine verse six though in this last passage the sense is rather that of accuser on account of the words which follow when he is judged let him come forth guilty in zechariah chapter three verses one and two we find that a development has taken place for here the word is used with the definite article and means the adversary par excellence who accuses men before god this passage is especially instructive because in it the word is used in a twofold sense the adversary that is satan standing at his right hand as his adversary again satan it is in a similar sense that the word is used in the book of job chapter one verse six and following 
chapter 2, verse 1 and following. A still further development is probably to be seen in First Chronicles chapter 21, verse 1. Compare with Second Samuel chapter 24, verse 1, where the word is used without the article, and the context shows that it is not an ordinary foe that is meant, so that here Satan is used as a proper name. He is, moreover, not only an accuser, but one who tempts to evil. With the further development of Satan as the arch-fiend and head of the powers of darkness, we are not concerned here, as this is outside the scope of the Old Testament. End of chapter 4